Hello. Sorry this episode of the podcast has been delayed. I was not feeling well. Now a a sensible person would have had a backup plan. You know, a person who has a well thought out or really just, you know, had basic common sense planning skills would have had a backup plan or a backup episode ready to go. I am I am not that person. So it went on a bit of a hiatus for like a week or two. I did write a portion of this actually when I was sick with a head cold and on cold medication. But apparently cold medication and my writing skills don't mix well. You have these you have these great sort of writers like Samuel Taylor Coleridge and who it took some opiates for, you know, some sort of head cold or virus that he had and, and, and wrote the poem like Kubla Khan. And then you have these other artists who can do these sort of brilliant stream of consciousness narratives. Apparently, under cold medication, I write a lunatic bunch of nonsense that, that basically just looks like the deranged ramblings of, of an excitable five-year-old that's hopped up on cough syrup and stolen syrups of energy drinks. It wasn't quite at the all-work-and-no-play-make-jack-a-dull-boy level of crazy. It just wasn't as far removed from that as I would have liked. Anyway, this is Bittersweet Ramblings, and today I'm going to talk about the movie Fifty First Dates. So, let's get started. So, Fifty First Dates is the romantic story of a family who gaslights their, you know, daughter slash sister, who, due to a massive head injury uh, that she had during a car accident, has short-term memory issues. And the guy, her, you know, love interest, who catches on to what the family is doing and decides to join in on the gaslighting fun. What what writer looked at the idea of of not allowing a character to create new memories, like just holding them in their 20s and destroying their ability to grow as a person and and said, do you know what I see in this situation? A romantic comedy. Who, who, I don't understand how that happened. This should be a horror movie. Every part of this should just be a horror movie or a drama of some type. I'm not a huge Adam Sandler fan, uh, but I, I'm fond of quite a few of his movies that have drill, Drew Barrymore in him, uh, including parts of this one. Something about Drew Barrymore with him seems to kind of bring out his like sweet side. So Adam Sandler's character is a guy who is obsessed with having first dates over and over again. He is constantly hooking up with new women and doing these sort of dramatic new first dates. And in this movie, Barrymore's character is his dream girl. Someone who had this severe head trauma and can't create new memories. So he is continually able to redo the first date experience with her over and over again. 
Although the the quote unquote dates in this movie they're they're really not dates. They're they're more like performances. His dates are performance art. Um, I I actually used to date a guy who was big on you know performance dates. If he would have owned a cape and a top hat, I would have had to have watched him swirl it and yell, you know, ta-da, every time he rolled out some new magic trick or dramatic reveal. Now, going on a date where the other person is playing a magician and pulling, like, mysteries out of a hat or a box, it gets really old really fast. Because it's, it's a performance for everyone else around. You, you don't actually get to know each other. I was there so that this guy had an audience. I think he was he was more interested in showboating and if he could have cloned himself and then gone on a date with himself, he would have done it. Because I don't I don't think anyone loved him as much as he loved him. <laughs> so in 51st dates Sandler's character is is not trying to seduce or romance Barrymore's character. He is trying to impress her family and friends, which is why he's doing performance art instead of dates. She's not going to remember him. She's not going to remember this date in, in 24 hours. Really, he's trying to sell himself to her family because her family, they're the gatekeepers as far as whether or not he stays or goes. Now, the, the plot behind this movie for her character is its horrifying. They have had actual Twilight episodes or horror movies, stories. I've read some horror stories about this where she goes to sleep and knows of one sort of existence, one, one world, and she wakes up and everything is different. And this is happening to her every single night. Can you imagine closing your eyes at night and opening them in the morning and everything around you is different and everything has changed and you don't really know where you stand in this world anymore. Everyone else has gone on with their lives around you but you don't remember any of them. And she's eventually going to be a 50... 60, 70 year old woman who would still be looking in the mirror for a much younger face. She's not going to recognize herself. Because when she gets older, no amount of videotapes or DVDs or, you know, showing her what had happened before is, is going to help her when she wakes up. She's going to wake up. She's going to look at her hands. She's going to feel different. And she's going to realize right away that something is not right. You can hide the mirrors, but she's still going to be able to see what her hands look like. Now, she has a couple of bridges between her old life and her new life. One of those is her dad. Her brother is her other anchor, but really the one she relies on the most is her dad. So what happens when something happens to her father? Do they have to call in her brother? How did they explain to her that her dad who was there one day is no longer there the next day? Is, is her brother really trying to rush through living his life as much as possible because he realizes he's going to have to be her caretaker? She needs someone close to her who can anchor her, somebody she actually remembers. 
And the funerals and the deaths that eventually happen, they're not going to be something that she's easily going to be able to handle. What happens during holidays or birthdays or anniversaries? She is going to be the person everybody avoids because the questions are guaranteed to be awkward. She is not going to remember enough about anyone to avoid asking the wrong questions. Really, there are only so many cheat sheets that you could give her. And it's going to be difficult for the rest of the family to deal with as well. It's basically a lot like dealing with someone with Alzheimer's. She has those old memories, but she doesn't really have any new ones. For everyone around her, it's old hat. For everyone around her, they're just going about their day. But for her, everything's different every day. Can you imagine what it's like just realizing, like waking up and realizing that everyone around you, your family and your friends and your neighbors, even strangers know more about your history than you do. Can you imagine having people correct you on what you believe to be true about your life? And then of course, there are gonna be some people who just completely gaslight her. Once somebody in her family got their way, she's not gonna remember if she agreed to it or not. She may have said no 15, 16 times and said maybe once. And then the day after she said maybe, it turns into, well, you said it would be okay. And she's not even going to be able to remember enough to say, no, I didn't. Because sometimes when you have time to think things through, you can change your mind. For example, if you were given a choice between living in a tiny ass little boat with three other people in the middle of the Bering Sea or staying in Hawaii, which option would you choose? How many weeks in a row did she get asked to do that before she said maybe? And how untethered from reality would you feel if everything that you thought you knew was questioned by everybody? She can see that everything is different and she can tell that she can't trust her own mind, but that just means that your grasp on reality is always gonna be tenuous. It's, it's not if they put her into a facility, it's when. Do you know what would not help you stay tethered to reality? Going to sleep in Hawaii and waking up, freezing your ass off, stuck in a tiny little boat in the middle of the Bering fucking sea. But the, the most terrifying part of the entire movie was a part that they just kind of, you know, skimmed right over. <laughs> and I've, I've had nightmares about this. It, it would be waking up and discovering you are pregnant and not having any reason why. They, they, I don't understand how the ending of it just sort of skipped over, you know, what many, many people have as, as horror stories and nightmares. Hey, Jesus, all of a sudden, you know, you open your eyes and there's, there's your belly is huge and there's something in there that wasn't in there when you went to sleep. This, the, there are so many horror movies about people getting impregnated with things. They just wake up one day and, oh, <laughs> what is this? Where did it come from? Nobody knows. And this is just sort of played off as something that she's happy about. No, that would have been what, seven, eight, nine months of horror for her. I mean, there wouldn't have been any videotape that could have made that okay. Hopefully they weren't on the boat when she was knocked up. I mean, it would have woken up screaming and probably ran off and 
fell into the goddamn sea. That's what I would have done. I think that's what anyone rational and sane would have done. It's not something that you want to have happen to you. And what about her child or her children? Most children are already convinced that their parents don't love them enough or don't pay enough attention to them or don't notice what they do. And she doesn't even remember that she has a kid. <laughs> let alone, let alone having to deal with the other parents, which sucks normally, but sucks even more when you can't remember which parents you like and which ones you'd previously told to jump into the lake with an anchor. And more importantly, you're not going to be able to remember which set of parents are obsessed with gluten-free snacks or, or which ones are still being treated for lice. The bonus is that she would be an excellent secret keeper. I mean, you could tell her all of your deepest, darkest secrets and nobody's going to be the wiser. You could, you could bore the hell out of her with every petty grievance and the next day she would be back for more. Oh, and you can always get her to pay for lunch. You know, I'll cover next time. You just get it this time. Don't worry, next time I'll totally get it. Another possible bonus, like, to this, I mean, for everybody but her, is that during the parent meetings, you could get her to talk to the conspiracy theorist or the person who just discovered some kind of spirituality or, or the jackass who decided to grow fucking cabbage and... She just listened to all of the unsolicited advice he gives about growing fucking organic cabbage. She would not remember what a life force draining vampire he was and what kind of freshly cultivated hell it was to listen to him. So she could just, you know, take one for the team of other people and listen to him so they didn't have to. And she was not going to remember that she had to listen to the cabbage lecture. So, it, it all really works out in the end. It's kind of a one bonus. Another movie that dealt with memory loss, but in a different way, was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is actually one of my favorite movies. So, in, in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, there was a brand new scientific development. It's, it's the kind of scientific development that was clearly checked and validated and so checked and validated that it led to the scientist opening a tiny business in a strip mall. Because apparently a lot of people don't approve uh, permanently erasing memories you don't want anymore by voluntarily submitting yourself to brain damage or, you know, sort of a specified lobotomy that aims at memories. And don't worry, they, they apparently have some really good coupons and deals if you want to offer your brain up for a lobotomy. So in this movie, the main couple, who were played by Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, purposefully erased the memories of their relationship. Or more specifically, she erased her memories, and then he got mad and erased his memories to get back at her. Because people make quality decisions when they are pissed off in the, in the middle of a dramatic breakup. The movie even dropped a few hints that this may not have been the first go-around on the forget-everything train for these protagonists. It's possible they had been through this process quite a few other times. And you, you almost wonder how many times they'd been through it. And also, 
how many repeat customers this mini mall lobotomy factory depended on to keep their business afloat. Do they have any sort of record of how much brain damage would be too much? Do they disclose if the person had been through this treatment multiple times? Or did they disclose if they'd had so many treatments that anything else would deeply affect their personality? How long until it deeply affected their personalities? You know, to the point where they go, Hey, if you do this again, there's a good chance you're not going to remember how to dress yourself and you may develop a, a slight uh, drool. And then of course, you know, Oh, screw him. You want all your memories of his stupid face gone? Okay, then fire up the machine. <laughs> you know, because this business is clearly based on pretty strong emotions, which is why they're burning memories from their brains. So in the movie to remove these memories, he sort of has to relive them. And then because he's reliving them, he's reliving the good memories in addition to the bad memories. And midway through the brain damage inducing session, he sort of changes his mind. But he's too deep under to tell them, you know, hey, don't stop, stop erasing everything. And he starts to realize he maybe shouldn't have hit the delete button quite so quickly. But it's too late. So his memory is just wiped clean of her and they threw sort of a, you know, a few additional memories in. So he had a real clean slate. But the couple, uh, Jim character, Jim Carrey's character and Kate Winslet's character meet again after erasing everything and they start over again and they end up doing the same or similar things because they don't have their original memories so they don't remember that they already did this and they don't remember what the consequences are. They don't remember the way that they talked to and about each other at the end and how damaging and hurtful that was. So they keep repeating all of the same mistakes. Because when you screw up and make an ass of yourself, you are much more likely to remember it and to try not to do it again. But if you've erased that memory, you don't remember the screw up, you're just gonna keep repeating it because you don't have that memory of how badly it went. Without their memories, they were stuck in a loop. They just kept repeating everything over and over again. And when you erase memories, you lose the good and the bad, and you need both. And we already have a tendency to color some of our memories. You get on the nostalgia train, and everything looks a little bit rosier than it used to until you really delve deep and remember, hey, that really did kind of suck. Maybe I should stop remembering that with joy. And can you imagine finding out that you had been erased from someone's memory purposefully? That they didn't just do it by accident, but they purposely went in, took every piece of you, and just erased you, eradicated you from their memories. It's one thing to be part of a couple or a relationship where you both know what happened. Even if it's just the two of you, or if there were other people involved, you may not get along, but at least you had shared experiences. You're not just relying on your own brain for those memories, you have a collective memory. That interaction that you had with someone else, or that interaction you had with a group of people, 
is unique to that person or unique to those persons that were sharing that experience. It's, it's a tie between you. It's an understanding that helps you grasp what really happened. You have that common ground, you have that common experience. And you have an understanding of what occurred that others may not grasp. They don't have that same collective experience. If it was shared, you have more of a bedrock to build off of. You aren't just trusting your experience of it. Others were there to witness it and they saw the same things you did and you weren't alone. So what happens when the people who you know who share that experience with you are gone or if they don't remember? Or what happens if their experience was not similar to the way that you viewed or experienced things? Even though you were in the same place at the same time during the same occurrence, what if they have colored their memories or they changed it or just viewed it differently than you perceive things? Does their experience impact or change the way that you view those memories? Do you start to question your memory? Do you question how you perceive things? Also, does it impact your trust in what you know? Or does it impact your trust in what others know and what they believe? If you are constantly questioned and constantly challenged in your experience, how does that affect what you believe to be real? When everyone surrounding you is making you question your own mind, how do you handle it? In Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, when they erase those memories, it's not just traumatizing for the person who was erased. That trauma affects their friends and families as well. Their family and friends have to watch everything happen over and over again. The memories that the entire group shared together are gone. They're impacting it by taking away their portion of that and not remembering anything that happened. And then the friends are supposed to keep up the facade that they don't remember this couple being together and pretend that they didn't just meet each other. Erasing memories of time together doesn't seem like it's maybe the best answer. Maybe it would be better to find a way to create some time and distance. Not to erase, but to be able to give perspective. To be able to view the memory from a distance. Sort of put it in the rear view mirror with an emotional distance and sort of an ability to integrate that memory into your experiences. Unless it was a memory of you walking in on your parents having sex, at which point you can, you can burn that memory to the ground it's just completely erase it it's it's just going to be beneficial to you in the end uh, you may forget your mother's birthday but that's that's the price you have to pay for your own basic sort of sanity so that is it for this episode thank you for listening and have a good night